Praise the Lord. Well, you guys know that um, we have spent several weeks this year talking about um, family from God's perspective. First, the family of God, God the Father, God, and, and so many different aspects, and yet um, also talked about practically uh, marriage, about parents. Um, and this is, this is going to be our last in that series as we talk about God's purposes for uh, the single believer, the, the believer who is not married, whether that be you, you, you've never been married or whether that be somebody who's widowed or whatever. Um, we want to look into the scripture and see that that is a high calling. It's actually something that's very, very valued in the kingdom of God. It's not a, it's not a second class thing. It's, it's actually the other way around. Uh, and so, you know, as we get ready to talk about that, um, we should be aware of, I think we should always be aware of where culture is pulling us so that we can recognize our biases and our assumptions going into anything. I always look around and say, how am I affected by the word and how am I affected by my own, my own traditions, my own culture, my own environment or upbringing? And, you know, our culture is a, a culture that really uh, has perverted a lot of things. Uh, that's not just the culture. That's just the way the enemy works. That's the spirit of the world is to pervert what God made good to pervert it, right? So God made love between a man and a woman. God made intimacy between a man and a woman to be a reflection of, of himself and the church uh, in the covenant of marriage just to reflect his covenant with us. And yet the world's twisted that to a great degree. Uh, they've twisted sexuality. They've twisted all these things. And the world's also really twisted what it means to be single, uh, you know, and it's, uh, I mean, I, maybe if you're single here today, you know what, it, you, you probably know what it's like to be bombarded with love songs all the time or, you know, songs about what somebody's doing in the club, picking up girls or even the songs about single ladies really are about a guy putting a ring on it, you know, and, <laughs> and so you might feel like, well, at least I can go to church and find refuge. And then you go to church and everybody just bugs you all the time about when you're finally going to get married. And just like, will they leave me alone? God help me, will they leave me alone? He who finds a wife finds a good thing. I know, leave me alone. But let's just look at what the Bible says. Because some of you are single for a season. Some of you will be single for the rest of your life. That sounds like a, a mean thing to say. If a pastor were to say that, you probably don't want me to say that to your face, some of you. I think you might be single for the rest of your life. That would sound like a, a sentence, right? Singleness in the Bible is not a sentence, it's a gift. Some of you are saying amen by faith. Some of you are just like, well, whatever. I thank God I'm married. I love my wife. But you know what? I really also, God used that single time in my life as well. God's using my married life now, and he used my single life then. If I had spent all my single life wishing I was married, I would have been of very little use in the kingdom of God because I wouldn't have had any contentment in my life. I would have been constantly looking for something that wasn't there, dissatisfied for what was there. Um, let's look in the Bible. and we'll, This is interesting because this is actually where we started when we talked about marriage was in the book of Matthew chapter 19.
Matthew 19 actually begins with Jesus being asked a question about divorce. He's asked a question about divorce, and he begins to talk about marriage. He talks less about divorce than he does just about God's original plan for marriage, which was God made the man and woman, and he joined the two together, and the two became one. And he could have left it there, right? He could have just said, so marriage is good. But he doesn't leave it there because he says, I don't want you to get divorced. Because in their culture, the man had a lot of power. The husband had a lot of power. And the husband could send his wife away for the dumbest of reasons. She burnt the food. She kept having girls and he figured he should have boys. Throughout history, the men have blamed those things on the women. You know, we look at kings... We look at one particular king of England who may or may not have started his own church. And uh, <laughs> is mad at all the women in his life because he's never been able to have a child. He never does the math and say, no matter who I marry, these women can't have kids. What's wrong with these women? It doesn't take a bright person to realize the women probably aren't the problem. Every woman I marry can't have, for some reason, these women, they just can't seem to have, have kids. What's wrong with all these women I keep marrying? He's never, he's never made the leap to maybe I'm the guy, maybe I'm the common denominator here. But throughout history, that's been an issue. So you'd have people divorce their wife because they go, well, you're just having girls. You're not having you're not having babies at all or, or whatever. They, for, for very small reasons, they would divorce. And so Jesus says, I don't want you to divorce. He said, Moses let you divorce for these different reasons, but it was because your heart was hard. So what does that tell us? First of all, it tells us that through the new covenant, God is fulfilling what he said he would do, which in the new covenant, he said, I'll take your hearts of stone and I'll make them a heart of flesh. Secondly, it tells me that in order for us to really have successful family life and relationships, we have to have soft hearts because it's the hardness of our heart that keeps us from maintaining relationship with one another. It's the hardness of our own hearts that causes strife and bitterness and malice and all these things. So he says, because of the hardness of your heart, I let you do that. But he said, I, I, he said, I don't want you to divorce except for the, the case of, of sexual immorality in the relationship. I want you to stay together. The response of the disciples isn't, oh, that sounds like a good idea. They don't say, hey, that's, you're on to something, Jesus. What do they say? What do these men of God say to him when he says, maybe you shouldn't get divorced? They say, well, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. <laughs> what a weird thing to say. If I can't divorce her, I don't want to marry her to start with. <laughs> Way to go, men of faith. I mean, you know, Peter had a wife by that point. She might have been there. She might have heard him say that and go, really, Pete? Really? Or Simon to her, probably. Really, Simon? Yeah. It's better not to marry. If you're going to tie us to this woman for the rest of our life, better not to marry. But Jesus said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only to those whom it's been given. Then he says this, for there are eunuchs 
who were born that way from their mother's womb. There were eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. There were also eunuchs who were made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He, is a, he who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Now, first and foremost, let's get this out of the way. I'm going to do two things this morning. We're going to explain what the word eunuch means. And number two, we're going to promise never to call one another eunuchs, <laughs> no matter how single you are. Because in this culture, it's just not a fun thing when people say, oh, you're a eunuch. Oh, that's good. Like that, nobody wants to be called that. <laughs> eunuch was somebody who was celibate. Right? They did not have sexual relations. They did not have relations with a woman if they were a man or, a, you know, and primarily a eunuch was referring to a man, but, and they'd use the word virgin for a woman, but that's the idea is that they would say, I'm not going to have relationships with the opposite sex. I'm not going to have a sexual relationship. And throughout history, there were times, like he says, some were born this way. There were some people just born where they just did not desire that. They didn't have a desire to have a relationship with anybody else. And you know what? Jesus doesn't say that they're broken. He doesn't say there's anything wrong with that. In fact, he seems to be on their side. I want you to think what you'd think if somebody walked into this church and says, I've just never been attracted to the opposite sex. I've never been attracted to a woman or a man. I've just never been attracted to any. I've never felt those feelings. What would you think about them? Most people would say something's wrong with you. Does Jesus say there's something wrong with them? No. no. Seems to say that's a good thing. It's fine. That's, they're born that way. That's fine. Doesn't try to force them into a relationship. In fact, says that they can do something for the kingdom of heaven. Then he says some people are made that way by men. This is probably the most awkward of all the situations because throughout history, there were men who were forced into celibacy through actual castration. They were they had an operation, and it wasn't by their choice most of the time. We've talked about this before, but Daniel and the three Hebrew children, did you ever notice why they didn't have wives when they were captured by the Babylonians and put into service? Daniel's a godly man. You never see him have a family. Why not? Because the Babylonians' practice was they would take the, the young men, the nobles, the finest young men, and they would adopt them into the Babylonian culture. But what they often did to their prisoners of war that they were going to use in the palace and they were going to train up is that they would actually castrate these guys. That's a terrible thing to think about. I don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it anymore. But that's what they had to go through. So when Philip comes across uh, the Ethiopian uh, in, uh, outside of Samaria and he's in his chariot. It says he's a eunuch. We don't know if he chose that lifestyle or if it was forced upon him, but the reason he's a eunuch is because he works in the court of Queen Candace. And the idea at the time was, just like when Esther was being prepared to, to marry the king and she was taken care of by eunuchs, the idea was, if you're going to leave some guys with your women, make sure that they're not attracted. So we're going to force celibacy on them through a physical operation. That's not fun to think about. But once again, Jesus doesn't say, throw them out. He embraces them. Then, and here's the one that we're getting at today, because I, I know nobody here was forced into a, a celibacy by a person. Like nobody forced you into that. I'm positive of that. Nobody in the room. Well, I'm not positive of anything anymore. But anyways, this is the one we really want to focus on today. He says, there are eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs. Now, Let's just settle something real quick before your mind goes away with you. That doesn't mean anything physical, okay? They did not do something to themselves. But they chose a celibate life. They chose to be single. 
Can we just say it in 2017 terms? They chose to be single for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, what in the world does the kingdom of heaven need with single people? Why does the kingdom of heaven need single people? And he says, he who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Do you know that, and we're going to go through this in Scripture, but Jesus is implying that there are people that God has given a grace to accept this call, accept this truth. And he says, if you're able to accept it, then accept it. If you're not able, don't accept it. That's not you. But there are people that God has called to a life where they're saying, I am devoted to the kingdom of God. Now, I won't have any distraction. I'm going to be devoted to the kingdom of God. Is God for marriage? Yes, he is. Is marriage held in high esteem in the Bible? Yes, it is. But you know, being single is also held pretty high up there as well. And the real point we need to get to is whatever circumstance you find yourself in, you need to know if God wants me to be married, he wants me to be married, if he wants me to be single, be single. But whatever circumstance I'm in, I'm going to use it for the glory of God. I'm not gonna, and, and listen, some of you are single for a season. You're, you're, you want to get married. That's in your future. Well, use this time right now to be single. Use it this time right now for the kingdom of God in a way that you really couldn't if you had a family. There were things I could do when I was single that I really can't do right now when I have a little five-year-old at the house. I can't just go away whenever I want and go away for weeks and go minister in another country and just say, see a family. No, I, I got to take care of them. When I was single, I, could, I, could, I didn't really have to worry about providing for anybody other than myself. And, and when it's just me, I can say the Lord will provide. I'll just go and God will provide. It's tougher when you got a kid and a wife that you care about and you want to make sure they're taken care of, right? So, and we'll see that in the scripture, but, but he's saying, if you're able to accept it, let, it, let him accept it. This is the attitude of the church today because it should be. Do you know how old I was when I got married? I was 27, but I turned 28 the day we got home from our honeymoon. And there were a lot of those years where well-meaning Christians just thought, you're not trying hard enough to get married, (laughs) right? Let me help you. Here you go, you know? Have you met this person? You know, and it really wasn't an issue of meeting people. I knew lots of people. There were lots of great candidates for, for a wife. But I wanted what God had for me. And the truth was, I wanted what God had for me as a single man just as much as I wanted what God had for me as a married man. This was a time in my life where I was going to be focused on the ministry. So from the time I was 20 to the time I was in my, you know, to the time I, I, Tia and I met, which even after we met, because we didn't, we didn't become a couple until probably a year after we met. Hey, Tia. So from 20 to like 27, 26, I was focused on being, and, and, and as a teenager too, I think as a 19-year-old, you know, I, I, I kind of thought maybe I should get married soon, you know, and, that, and that, that, thank God I didn't. But, you know, from, from the time I was 16 to, you know, all the way to, to, you know, I had that time when I was 19 where I probably thought, I think this is, this might, I might need to get married soon. And I got back on track. And from the time I was 20 to the time I was like 26, 27, I, I wasn't interested in any relationships. In fact, when, when Tia finally, God put Tia in my life, I was unaware for the longest time. God had to use like 10 different people 
who randomly came up to me at a conference saying, I never say this. I don't want to freak you out. I don't want to sound flaky, but I think your wife's at this conference. And I backpedaled away from them like I backpedaled away from everybody who started talking that way. And I just avoided them until somebody else came and somebody else came. Because I think I was pretty sensitive to God in a lot of areas. But I had so put my blinders on to be focused on the ministry that when God finally said, okay, now it's time for you to get married, I was so focused I couldn't hear him until he used a sledgehammer to get my attention. But God did that. I remember people saying, you know, if you're not looking, you're not going to find. <laughs> right? If you're not looking, you're not going to find. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. But I said, you know, everything in my life, God brought at the right time. Everything I've been doing, everything God's brought, he brought at the right time. So I'll trust him with this because he's, he's never failed me, just like we sang. He's never failed me yet. This is going to be fine. And sure enough, God did it. But I don't think I could have done half the things I did in that period of time if I'd been so worried about, I got to get married. I got to get married. What if I had said to the people in my church, I'm never going to get married? Do you know what they'd say? Not everybody, because some of you were here <laughs> and you were very kind. I mean, there was, I, I shouldn't paint the picture like people always wanted the single guys to get married, but there were some that were a little worried for you. You know what I mean? And if you had said, if there's somebody here this morning that says, I think I'm called to be single for the rest of my life, the problem is, is if you say that to a lot of people, they just think you need a little help and they're just going to take you aside and tell you you're wrong and set you up on christianmingle.com or something, you know? <laughs> Nothing wrong with christianmingle.com. I'm just saying, people think, well, you can't possibly be be right about that. I believe there are people that are called to a single life. And these people should be highly honored, not looked down upon. In 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul, who was himself a single man. Now, some scholars think he might have been married earlier and had a wife that died. Some believe he was single all his life, but either way, what we know is he was definitely single when God used him. He was single when he was born again. He was single for the rest of his life. And uh, 1 Corinthians 7 is an interesting chapter. It's, it's one of the few where it's one of the few where he says more than once, this is just my opinion. You know, the Apostle Paul doesn't seem like the kind of guy to say, this is just my opinion, but he says it in this chapter. This is my opinion. There's times where he says, this isn't the Lord talking, this is Paul talking, but I want to give you some advice, and I believe it's the mind of the Lord. And I want you to see what he says. We're not going to read this whole thing. There's a whole lot here, and this probably, if you start reading it, you might have some questions but there's answers to those questions. He says this in verse 6, 1 Corinthians 7, 6. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. So what's he saying? He's, he's talking about guys that um, are having trouble with their self-control, and he's giving them some instructions, and, he, and then he says, I'm not telling you you have to do this, but I'm giving you some advice. Then he says, yet I wish 
that all men were even as I myself am. What does he mean? Single. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. What do you get from that verse? Because he's talking about his decision to be single. He says, each person has their own gift from God. So there are people who have a gift to be single. And there are some who have get, are gifted to be married. And we should honor the gifts of God, shouldn't we? Yes. We always should honor God's gifting. So listen, there's some people that are just gifted to be single. Singleness is not a life sentence. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. Well, you have to believe that. If you have to have somebody stand in front of you and say it 10 times a day, then, then do that. But, you know, hey, it's sometimes it's tough to buy. <laughs> Each man has his own gift from God, one in this matter and another in that. And he goes on in this letter to explain that we're, some are gifted in this area and some are gifted in that area. He says, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it's good for them if they remain even as I. But if they don't have self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Let's correct something that you might have in your head right now. He's not saying the only reason you get married is because you can't control yourself. Right? We know that. What's he saying? He says there are people that are supposed to be single. They're called to be single, but they, they just are struggling with their self-control. He says, well, then just get married. It's okay. Because it'd be better for you to get married than for you to be tortured all the time. We're going to skip down because he talks about a lot of other things. But he says this further on down in verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. So what is he saying? I'm not going to tell you that God's telling you this, but I'm giving you my opinion, and I want, to know, I want you to know my opinion it counts for something because I've been trusted by the Lord. So, so I'm not going to tell you God's telling you this, but this is Paul talking to you. I think, then, that this is good in view of the present distress. In other words, what they're going through right now, whether or not Paul thought the, the Lord was coming right away or whether it was the tribulation that was coming upon the church in that time period, whatever he says, he says, in view of the present distress, that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you marry, you've not sinned. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. Now, gee, that's a rosy view of marriage, isn't it? <laughs> the single guy is telling you yeah, it'll be a little harder for you and realizing that he's talking about a church that's about to come under some great persecution he's saying it's going to be more difficult for you to have a family during that period what Paul was able to say listen I'm glad to give my life you go ahead chop my head off I don't care I'm going to see Jesus when my time's done when I finish my course when I finish what the Lord put me on the earth to do I can go now, if he had had a kid and a wife, that would be a harder thing to say. It'd be harder for him to say, my kid can die for the Lord. That's hard. So he says, in light of what's going on, it might be just better for you to remain single. He says, he says you haven't sinned if you're married. Well, gee, thank you. But you'll have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. Man, 
Let's all, let's all have a marriage seminar after this, eh? But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should go on as though they had none. He's not saying leave your wife. He's just saying, you know, devote yourself to the Lord as well. Those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. We're going to stop there. So this is a thought that I think we need to think about. Because you know what? You've already been here. Guys who've been coming to this church for at least a couple months, you were here when I talked about how great marriage was and how God is behind it and how it's a good thing, right? You know that. So I'm not bashing marriage today. I am for marriage. I'm married and I love it. And God is using my marriage for his kingdom, for his glory. But God also wants to use some single people in a way that you couldn't be used if you were married. You know, the body is made up of different parts who have different functions. Isn't that right? We're not all the same. So there are people that God has called you to a specific task. He has placed you in a specific position. That is a gift that God's put in your life. It's a call on your life. But you know that the call of God on your life is not what defines you. Ultimately, what defines you is who you are in Christ. So though I am a pastor, my ultimate purpose, my ultimate definition in life is not Pastor Jonathan. My ultimate definition in life is that I'm a child of God. And that I was created before I would not, I, I know that God put a call in my life to preach. I know he put a call in my life to pastor. But beyond all that, before all that, above all that, he put a call on my life to know him and to give him glory. And we were called to that. And that is the highest form of satisfaction, of fulfillment. It's the highest purpose in life. The world will tell you that the highest, the highest satisfaction, the, the, most, the, the, the most pleasure you're ever going to get is, is, is through another person. But I, we're telling each other, we know this by the Spirit of God, that the highest form of fulfillment is somebody who finds himself in Christ, someone who finds himself in God. And if you have read the book of Psalms, you read David talking about the pleasures of the Lord, that there is a satisfaction you find in him that you can't find anywhere else. And we've always said this, and I'll say it again, because I, I'm, I'm talking to two groups of people, three groups of people today. When I talk about single people, I'm talking about widows. I'm talking about those who are single for a season, but you want to get married. And I'm talking about people who think you might be single for the rest of your life, and you're wondering if that's okay. Yes, it is. It's more than okay. It's a high calling. But whoever we are, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whatever your situation is, if you're married... Be married for the glory of God. If you're single, be single for the glory of God. Let God use you right now in this season because if you spend all your life wishing to be in another season, you will never see God's goodness in the land you're in right now. Pining for another land, right? 
wishing, oh, I just can't wait till I'm married. We're, oh, me and, my, me and my spouse are going to do great things for God. We're going to do all these things. Do great things for God now. There's some things that, you know, if you believe you're supposed to be married and God's preparing a husband for you or a wife for you, thank God, awesome. There's probably some things you're only going to be able to do together. But there's some things you can only do right now. Do them. Use this time. Instead of using this time wishing you were somewhere else. Amen? And he's saying, you know the great thing about being single? Undistracted devotion. You don't have to think about anything else. He says, somebody who's married is tied to the world in a way. You guys know it. Men, you know what this is like. Women, you know what this is like. You know what it's like. I mean, look, I just got this guitar from the shop. This is a Chet Atkins. It's a beautiful guitar. I like this guitar a lot. I got another guitar in the shop. It's been there way too long. But I have these guitars that are really nice guitars, and I get compliments at the, at the repair shop when I bring them in. Oh, this is a nice guitar. You know, I haven't brought a guitar in a very long time. You know why? Because when I was single, I had money to buy guitars like that. (laughs) I could just do that. I could just spend money on myself. I could just give in the offering, buy a guitar. Life was good. It's still really good. It's better, in fact. I can't just go off and say, honey, I spent $3,200 on a guitar. That guitar wasn't $3,200, but there's another that was. I can't just, I think about that now and it hurts my head, you know? (laughs) Because I was single. I had some freedom. I spent a lot of time on the mission field when I was single. And when I was married, first few years of marriage, the Lord said, you need to stay here. And we'd send teams to the Philippines, and I'd want to go. And he says, you need to stay here. God, can I go? God, can I go? Stay here. Stay with your family. God, I'm doing something here. You know, so there are different seasons in your life that are all good, but they're not going to be good if you don't learn to enjoy the season you're in. If you can't enjoy the season you're you're in, you can't receive from God in that season. Why? Because you'll be bitter. What does the Bible say? Do all things without grumbling or complaining. If you're grumbling and complaining about being single, you're missing what God's got for you. You should rejoice. (coughs) I know that sounds easy for me to say, but I didn't get married when I was 17. I got married when I was in my late 20s. I know what it's like to feel like if I just had a relationship, it would fix things. It wouldn't. I'll tell you this, and we know this, and I've said this before. But two halves do not make a whole in marriage. You don't take two half people and make one whole person. If you take two half people and put them together, they're, gonna, they're going to have expectations of one another that are unrealistic, and that other person can't make you a whole person. What you're needing is to have a relationship with God. And what that spouse needs of you, if God's preparing a spouse for you, they need you to be a whole person. One whole person plus one whole person makes one whole person. Now, right now, two people became one. That's what the Bible says, right? He joined two and he made one. So me and my wife, we were two individuals that God made one. Now she is half of who I am because God joined us together. But if I came and said, oh, I know you're going to fulfill me. You're going to, you're going to complete what I, you know, I, I'm, I'm just so 
missing so many things and you're going to complete that. There's some truth to that, but also that attitude is going to put so much weight on her that I'm going to look to her for my fulfillment when I should be looking first to God for my fulfillment. And that's really tough on a relationship. We've seen it over and over again. When you put those expectations on the person, can I just be frank and blunt with you today? Can I? You're like, like, we haven't been frank yet. (laughs) Can I just be blunt? Young people, maybe, maybe I'm not just talking about young people, but especially young people. The lie that was going around the youth group when I was a teenager was if you had an issue with pornography, it'd all go away when you got married. Not true. Not true. The same brokenness that's in you then that you're looking for in that is going to be in you and you bring it into your marriage. God wants to heal that now. God wants to deliver you now. So you're not looking to that junk to fulfill something that, that, that it can't possibly fill. And it's gonna, it brings that brokenness into a place where you're expecting, oh, it's okay. Because, because when I'm married, I'll, I'll just get whatever I want, whenever I want. That's not the way it works. And what that turns your spouse into is rather than a co-heir of the grace of life, it turns them into an object that fulfills your needs. And they're a person that has needs too. So back to the word. (laughs) Undistracted devotion. I want those two words to stick with you. Undistracted devotion. Undistracted devotion. That's what God's looking for. And do you know what? I have, the Lord has my devotion. He has my attention. He has my affection. And he, me and my wife, we're, we're a team on this. But there is something special about some of you single folks. You don't realize it until you, until you look at it from an outside perspective. But what you have right now is an opportunity to have undistracted, undivided attention. That is a gift from God. Use it for the glory of God. Jared. We talked about this, right? I'm only bringing Jared up because he actually, we talked about this when I was talking about marriage. Jared's single right now. No, you're going to get married someday, right, Jared's plan? Yeah, right. Jared, Jared, fine young man. He'd be, he's he's going to make a good husband, good father. But Jared right now is, is doing a work for the Lord that might have been hard if you were married. Hey, Jared, just to pick up and say I'm moving to, you're moving to Mexico, right? What city? Guadalajara. Guadalajara. So he says, I'm going to move to Guadalajara and become a Chivas fan, and, and this is what we're going to do. And his wife's like, what are we doing now? That might be difficult, right? Now, maybe he'll meet a wife in Guadalajara. Maybe he's already got one. I don't know. But, <laughs> but either way, he was able to do some stuff. He went to Peru. He did a bunch of things now that he probably couldn't do if he had a family. Use the time you're in. Use the season you're in. For the season is special. I'm not going to take much more of your time, but I want to read you something from the book of Isaiah. And this is important because in the old covenant, your blessing was often tied to your children. God's covenant was enhanced and reproduced through your kids, right? So you see how many times he says, I'll bless you and I'll bless your children. I'll bless your children's children. I'll make your name great. I will, I will make your descendants great. God used the children of these people to propagate his covenant. In the new covenant, that's not the case. In the new covenant, that's not the case at all. 
Because in the new covenant, we don't build the family of God by having more kids. We build the family of God by winning souls to Christ, right? So what does the Bible say in Isaiah 53? It says, we're going we're gonna to go to Isaiah 56. But in Isaiah 53 and 54, I'm sorry, 53 is the suffering servant. But then Isaiah 54, he talks about the woman who is barren is going to have more kids, those spiritual children, than the one who has natural kids. That God was going to use a barren woman to carry out his covenant. Jesus said, who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? Who is my, who are my mother? Who is my mother? But those that do the will of God. The Apostle Paul compared himself to a father many times in the New Testament. Isn't that right? He even compared himself to a mother. Now here's a guy who doesn't have kids. In fact, if you go through the New Testament, you see fathers and mothers. There is instructions for natural fathers and mothers. But there's even more scripture talking about spiritual fatherhood and spiritual motherhood. Can I just say this? We need fathers and mothers in the kingdom of God who aren't married and don't have kids. That's biblical. That's righteous. That's what Paul was. Look, he talked about Timothy as his son, Titus as his son. Right? He said, I cared for you as a mother. Jesus said, here's my family, those that do the will of God. And he said, you know, there are going to be some of you who give up your natural family for the sake of the kingdom of God. I'll pay you back. Can I just make a small point based on that point? Yeah? If you're called to be single, you still have to grow up. Right? Because you know what? Having a family forces us into adulthood sometimes. Right? People have kids and they suddenly grow up real fast because they had a kid. If you're single, you still got to grow up. No, but it's just nobody's making you do it. So as you grow older and you get into your 30s and 40s, be youthful for the rest of your life, but don't remain like an adolescent. Grow up. Because you need to transition into motherhood if you're a woman. Fatherhood, if you're a man, that sounds weird, but you do. If you are, I'm not going to use age, but if you're getting to a place where you say, if I, if I was like a lot of these people, I had kids this age, then, you know, God wants to use you in the family of God to be a mother, to be a father, even if you don't have natural children, especially if you don't have natural children. And if you're limiting yourself to only people who have natural kids can have spiritual children, then you don't understand the kingdom of God. So you got to grow up and get mature. And maybe nobody's making you be mature, but you got to get mature. You can't stay a teenager for the rest of your life. You can't live in your mom's basement, play video games the rest of your life. <laughs> got to grow up. <laughs> As Jesus said, he who is able to receive it, let them receive it. As Paul said, some of us are gifted, some of us aren't. All right? Because some of you are freaking out just hearing this. Well, you're not gifted in that area. That's okay. Neither am I. But we honor the ones that are. Let's paint the scene. Isaiah 53 talks about the cross, right? Isaiah 54 talks about the new covenant, the barren woman having children, God's righteousness being established. The sons and daughters will be disciples taught of the Lord, right? right? Now, we use that for our natural kids, but in Isaiah 54, it's not talking about your natural kids. It's Because talk, he's talking about the barren woman. Right. 
Isaiah 55, anybody who's thirsty, come to me. Anybody who's hungry, come to me. Free offer, right? Isaiah 56, he says this in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, preserve justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come. My righteousness is to be revealed. How blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, the single person, the virgin, don't let them say, behold, I am a dry tree. What did the Old Testament talk about? Your children are like olive plants, right? That that your seed will be blessed. There was this idea that God was going to bless you and propagate his covenant through your kids. I still believe that. But what he's saying here is, don't let somebody who's single say, I'm a dry tree. I'm not producing. I don't have kids. Or maybe somebody who's married but can't have kids. He says, don't you say you're a dry tree. Don't you say, I'm not, well, I wish I could have kids because that's where the blessing is. He says in verse 4, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, to the single people who are single for my kingdom, and they keep my Sabbath, and they choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. That's a big promise. So I know there's single people here today. I know there's some who said we've never been able to have natural children. Look what it says here. Don't you ever say I'm a dry tree. Don't you ever say I'm, well, God, God hasn't blessed me with children. Listen to this. He says, I will give you a name. I'll give you a memorial. I'll give you a gift better than sons and daughters. I will give you an everlasting name which will not be cut off. See, that was the thought was the ultimate blessing in the Old Testament was that your descendants would carry on and your name wouldn't be cut off. If your name was cut off, that would mean that your line was cut off. Everybody in your line died. That was the fear that you had. In fact, when, when a king was overthrown, what would you do? You'd go and kill all of his relatives, his descendants, so that his name would be cut off in the earth. That was the great fear. My, my, my name won't continue. What did God promise David? David said, God, I want to build you a house. God said, you're not going to build me a house. You're a man of blood. Your son will build me a house, but I'll build you a house, and your name will continue forever. Through your line, I'm going to bring the Messiah. So the fear that people had, the hope that people had, was that their name would continue, and their name would be great through their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. But he says... For those of you who have never had kids, never going to have kids, I'm going to give you a name that's better than sons and daughters. I'm going to give you a memorial that will never be cut off. That's a promise from God. Do you believe that? Now, that's in the old covenant. How much more in the new covenant? Where the sons and the daughters are not just your natural sons and daughters, even greater spiritual sons and daughters. First of the living God, but then he's, gonna, he's, gonna, he's bringing the hearts of the fathers back to the sons. When I say he's bringing the hearts of the fathers back to the sons, that's not just including fathers who've naturally had children. Because the one guy in the Bible who calls himself a father more than anybody else 
is Paul, who never did have kids. God used him as one of the greatest fathers in the new covenant. Right? What do you think of mothers? What do you think of mothers? Those of you that gave up family for the kingdom of God are going to get family right here on this earth and in the age to come, everlasting life. Right? You know, my parents gave up their family in a way. They didn't give up kids. They didn't give up marriage, but they moved away from their father and their mother and their brothers and sisters. They moved up here. And I didn't really, I have a better relationship with my uncles and aunts now, but I didn't really know them that well because I never saw them. I only saw them once a year, usually, if that. So I didn't really have a close relationship with my uncles and aunts as much as a lot of people did in my class. You know what I mean? I, my cousins, were, I had four cousins, and they were all girls, and they were all, like, in high school when I was in kindergarten. So, you know, family reunions weren't as fun for me. But... I really loved my uncles and aunts. I really love, I love them so much now. They're so much fun to be around. They're a blessing to me. But you know what? I had uncles and aunts right here in Lloydminster. God gave me family right here. God gave them family right here. I remember when I was a kid, I, I went around, people in the church, uncle and auntie this, uncle and auntie that. I had people that were like grandparents to me. I had, I had people that were like cousins to me. God blessed us with family more than we would have had if we'd lived over there. What can God do? I, I think the ultimate point we want to get to today is I'm talking to two groups of people. I know I said I was talking to three groups of people, but let's put those three into one group for a minute. So to two groups of people, number one, the folks that are single, and number two, the folks that aren't. Now let's just say let's honor the gift of God in one another and embrace it and cherish it. And whoever you are, if you're married, let God use your marriage for the glory of God. Let him use you as a team. Let him use you in a way that you say there are things we're going to do together that we couldn't do on our own. But if you're single, use this single as a time, singlehood as a time of undivided, undistracted attention. For the glory of God. And Jesus says that's a good place to be in. If you're able to receive it, you should receive it. How do you know? How do you know if you're able to receive it? Well, how do you know anything that God, that God tells you? You know it by prayer. You know it by spending time with him. The more time you spend with him, the more you'll know about yourself. Amen? You need to stop getting on the internet reading opinion articles all the time. You need to stop looking at other people's lives and wishing you were them because you don't know what they're dealing with. You need to be who God made you to be. And guys, God used people in my life to get my attention and tell me, I think your wife's here. So I'm not against God using you to say, I think God's preparing something. That said, the Bible also says, don't be a busybody. It says, don't be a busybody. So if God's not telling you to say it, don't say it. Right. You think you're helping them? You're not. You're discouraging them. We, we do say that. Why aren't you married? You're such a catch. The implication is all the good people get married. Mm. Right? <laughs> that was good. I like that. <laughs> Amen to that. That's the implication. Oh, why aren't you married yet? You're so, you're so handsome. You're so pretty. Why aren't you married yet? 
like the only people that are left over, the people nobody wanted. That's not the case. I know some highly eligible people that, that have had people chasing them all over the world trying to marry them. But they said, no, I'm single for this purpose. I got one friend right now who goes all over the world. Every time we look at her, T and I look at her Instagram account, she's somewhere else. Started an orphanage in Greece. Doing a great work for God. But she's in Greece, then she's in Texas, and then she's over here in, in, in another part of Europe, and then she's here in Africa. And we just like, how do you do this all the time? Well, she's single. She can do that right now. And God gave her a mother's heart for those kids, those orphans in Greece. She is a mother to those children. And she's like younger than me, but she's a mother to those kids. She may get married someday. I don't know. I haven't asked for that. But I will tell you this. What she's been able to do now, she couldn't have done if she was married. It would have been very difficult. She's done, because she's done some things that she needed undistracted, undivided attention to do. Whoever you are, be content in your circumstance because godliness with contentment is great gain. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen? Amen. Find God's purpose for your life. Hang on to it. Don't let it go and don't let anyone talk you out of it. Amen? Stand up.